right, so welcome back to Multifamily Live. Thank you, as always, for diving in with us. We are super excited for today's guest. It's been a minute, so we're really excited to jump back up to speed with where he's at, Paul Moore. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Hey, great to see you, Jason. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing great as well. And so a little about Paul. After a stint at Ford Motor Company, Paul co-founded a staffing firm where he was a two-time finalist for Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year. And after selling to a publicly traded firm, Paul began investing in real estate. He founded multiple businesses, development companies, appeared on HGTV, and committed over 100 commercial and residential investments and exits. He's contributed to Fox Business, to Real Estate Guys, radio, contributor to, of course, Bigger Pockets on live video and blog content, co-host of the Wealth Building Podcast, How to Lose Money, been featured on over 200 podcasts, and a three-time real estate author, including the book we're going to speak about today. I'm not sure if that's number four. Bigger Pockets recently published his new book, Storing Up Profits, Capitalize America's Obsession with Stuff by Investing in Self-Storage. He's the managing partner of Wellings Capital, a real estate private equity firm. Wellings Capital designates a portion of its profits to thwart human trafficking and rescue its victims. So, Paul, thanks so much for having me. I mean, last we spoke, I believe, man, it's been a few years here. You were... Yeah. Uh, Diving in on multifamily, all in at that point, I believe um, we might even be talking about a deal that you're working on in Lexington, if I recall. <laughs> Lexington, Kentucky. So, like, friend. That, yeah, that, that was, was a minute. We yeah. closed that four years ago this week. I mean, we, we acquired it four years ago this week. And that was the last multifamily we bought, even though I wrote wow. a book called wow. The Perfect Investment. You know, Jason, I, I honestly believe that the perfect investment isn't perfect if you've got to overpay to get it. And that's why companies seriously like yours help are so helpful for people because most people can't go out and casually, you know, or, you know, part-time work at this to get deals like you guys get. And so most, a lot of multifamily acquisitions right now I've seen are way overpriced. And so hats off to you guys for finding deals in such a difficult time. But honestly, we were failing. Our company, Wellings Capital, was miserably failing at finding those types of deals. And so that's why we made the shift we'll probably talk about today. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it does take work, as you know, right? And so typically, if someone says, well, I can't find a deal, it's, well, well how much work have you put in, right? And because it's not a not a moment, it's a relationship business to get out to, to your network, continually be on the hunt there, be open to opportunities, constantly looking. And so you made that, that's pretty crazy. I, I didn't realize that that was the point that, that you made the leap into self-storage. Um, how have you seen the last three, four years now unravel with the self-storage space? Because you hear the same thing about the self-storage space, right? It's, it's oh, yeah. a really aggressive market. I mean, everything's from from a lot of perspectives. How has the self-stores space itself really allowed you to find your role and find your niche? Yeah. So um, like I said, I wrote a book in 2016. I think you and I talked, like you said, in 2017 um, about multifamily. And what we found when we expanded into self-storage was this, uh, Chris Bennett from 10 Federal came up with this analysis that 93% of multifamily properties above 50 units have are owned by companies, typically corporations with multiple assets. And these assets have often been well-managed, often been value-added already. And it's very hard to find meat on the bone. And again, I'm going back to why people need to not do this casually, not in their spare time. They need to work with syndicators, people like you who know how to find those deals. But 
we did not have an acquisition team. We didn't have years of relationships and we felt that we were, we must be at the top of the market. Now, Hmm. of course, that was around the time the uh, tax reform bill got passed and signed by the president in December, 2017. And of course that just added new fuel to the fire for everybody in commercial real estate and residential, I believe too, with all these amazing tax benefits that flowed down to us. But, um, at any rate, we found, again, Chris Bennett's study found that only 76% of self-storage facilities are owned by, um, well, 76% are owned by independent operators, only 24% by the really big institutional professional operators. And wow. then of those 76% of self-storage by independent, two out of every three of those in other words, about 50% total were owned by mom and pops that typically had one facility. Now here's the deal. And this is true in multifamily too, but mom and pop owners don't typically have the desire, the knowledge, or the resources to upgrade these assets to increase the income and maximize shareholder value. And this is where we were just blown away by the upside potential available to a lot more people in self-storage. And then even in mobile home parks, we found even more so later. Are there some upgrades with self-storage that you found are continually ones that are being missed by the, the current operators that you're able to go in there and capitalize on? Well, think about this. These self-storage facility owners who, you know, they, a lot of them, not all, a lot of them see this as a cash cow or just a coupon clipper, you know, something that just, Hey, we just sit here and we, we collect rent and, you know, they might live in Myrtle beach while the asset might be in Tennessee and they're just collecting rent and they're seeing it as a residential or excuse me, as a re real estate play that just pays money. But think about this in the last 10 years, or maybe even six years, mainly the cap rates have gone from, let's say 10 or 12%, eight, 10, 12% down to say five or six or seven like multifamily. So what's happened is they've been rewarded for their mediocrity. And I don't mean to be mean, but I'm just being honest. They've been rewarded for doing very little to improve their facility by a doubling of the value of their self-storage facility. And so they don't have to do these upgrades. They don't have to go in and, and contract with U-Haul to add, you know, two, three, four thousand $4,000 a month to their revenue, which adds four to six or even 800,000 to the value of their facility. They don't have to add point of sale items for say a thousand dollars a month for selling locks, boxes, tape, and scissors. And you know, that's a thousand a month makes two adds 200,000 to the bottom line at a 6% cap rate. They don't have to go in and charge insurance and late fees and keep the you know, marketing up and build a beautiful website and outgun the competition on, you know, paid advertising. They don't have to add climate controlled units because, you know, again, they're already doing all right and they don't have to keep up with uh, the competition on rent increases. We've seen a lot of these facilities that have rent levels 20 to 30% below the competition and they shrug and say, Hey, we don't care. We're 100% occupied. Why should we advertise? Why should we raise rents? And they don't realize they're leaving literally millions of dollars of value on the table by just not getting in there and managing it professionally. So those are some of the upgrades we typically see, Jason.
Yes, I, and it trends a lot on, on most people's psyche is that the, the, the perceived pain is much greater than the, the fortunes that they can make, right? So the, the yeah. perceived pain of having a unit go vacant and having to figure out how to turn it, get it fixed up or whatever, and get it back leased, same thing in the multifamily world, seems a lot more you know uh, excruciating than just renovating that unit, putting it on and having to go through across that part, right? And plus, yeah. they got to put money out of their pocket. Right. So it's right. something that they, they usually, you know, maybe right now it's just rolling along, but, you know, just keep the money and they'd rather not spend the dollar to make a hundred. Right. So, yeah, so true. What has been some of the biggest points um, in terms of markets that, that have really driven you to certain locations? Is there certain things that are really driven um, the self-storage space where you're finding a bunch of, uh, uh, I, I guess, anomalies and where you can go after these type of investments? Yeah. So the number one risk in self-storage, the number one potential downside, excuse me, <clears throat> downside <laughs> is uh, the getting an asset that's not fully leased up, Jason, and then having a big national competitor come in down the street. Hmm. So we invested in summer of 2018 in Bradenton, Florida, and a big competitor came in down the road. In fact, a couple did, and it took like three years to get this thing leased up to 92% rather than it going, you know, uh, to full lease up in a year and a half. Well, that put a lot of drag on the investment investors returns. The good news is that sold two weeks ago to a large private equity uh, fund. And that provided a very, very nice return to investors, but it was nail biting along the way. So the answer to your question is we want to be in markets that are not over, you know, overbuilt. I mean, you can look around probably where you live and say, man, there's so many new self-storage facilities here the last decade. It seems like it must be overbuilt. And I could show you places in like Nashville, all over Nashville, where it's overbuilt. But then I could take you to a suburb of Nashville, just south of town, Bellevue, and show you that it's extremely undersupplied. And so we're looking for places that are undersupplied to be real specific. We're generally looking for locations that within about a three mile radius, you have average or higher than average income. And we're looking for, let's say under six or seven or eight square feet of uh, self storage existing for every individual in that same radius. So if there's 100,000 people in a three mile radius, we expect to see an average of about 700,000 square feet of storage. If there's 200,000 square feet, like a place we uh, invested in, in near Minneapolis, then you've got a really good potential location for a beautiful facility and a profitable outcome. Incredible. Now looking at uh, the Bradenton property here, do you factor in now going forward anything with um, zoning or other points to see the ability for operators come in there and build new complexes? Or is that something you yeah. don't look into too much? Yeah, no. I mean, we're actually not investing. My company, Wellings Capital, has kind of pulled back on development investment. We, we have one going right now. But, which is a redevelopment of a Boston warehouse. But um, generally, we're looking more for existing cash flowing facilities. Now, that said, the one I mentioned a few minutes ago in Minneapolis, we did that almost three years ago. And one of the reasons that was so appealing was there was a law in that suburb 
that said no self-storage can be built outside of industrial parks. They felt like it wasn't the best look for the city to have these everywhere. And so that really helped us because we already had a grandfathered location on a main road in the town, which was just a huge benefit. Do you go property first or market first? Because you seem to have, you're in a lot of different markets right now. So how are you allocating resources to be proficient in each of these markets when you're going into them? Yeah. So backing up a little bit, Wellings Capital is a fund. We have a family of funds, in fact, and we are taking the Warren Buffett mindset. I'm actually working on my fourth book on Warren Buffett's rules for real estate investors. And the Warren Buffett mindset basically is find a fabulous operator with a great management team, with a great product, great team and track record and technology, and then invest heavily in them and let them pick the details. So we spend a lot of time getting to know great operators. And then once we find one we like, we trust them to pick the market, to pick the asset and to manage the asset. And that's what we found is the best fit for us. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that we had not done well with acquisitions. Well, we really feel like, you know, letting someone else be the expert is the best way forward for our company. And we can give investors far more diversification that way. I mean, right now our investors and our fund that just closed, which is our fourth fund, um, they um, they have over 100 assets they're investing in. So if they put a hundred thousand in, you know, that's less than a thousand dollars per asset spread across 22 States. Wow. That's incredible. And then, so the, the way you structure your fund, each of these four funds here, are you basically uh, doing each for a select amount for a self-storage fund? So it's basically self-storage one, two, three, and four. Is that correct? No, we actually, our goal is to provide diversification across various geographies, various operators, of course, the assets, but also asset types. And we feel like recession resistant assets could, you know, many of them could fit into our fund. And so our Wellings Income Fund 3 has actually seven operators with four asset types. Uh, About 50, uh, almost 50% is self-storage, almost 50% is mobile home parks, but we also have a small percentage in multifamily and a small percentage in light industrial. That's incredible. Yeah, it definitely gives the investor portfolio diversification, a lot of different elements here across many different states. Because the one piece, even when when we have investors just say, listen, you know, these will be five opportunities here and say, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, right? But but if we're going to be investing also maybe um, Atlanta, Georgia here, the diversification of having multiple markets, right? It could be anything. It could be that, you know, you could come up on insurance risk in an area. If there was a heavy storm, there's just a lot of reasons that if you're into one market specifically that you're at um, undue risk based on a lot of macro factors or other things that are outside your control based on solely just being in that market right there. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that, that does happen. I mean, like Bradenton is, is literally it's those assets are in the fastest growing residential community in America, Lakewood ranch. You can look it up, but even with 29,000 new housing units, that's houses, condos, apartments, uh, townhouses, et cetera. With 29,000 new uh, housing units coming in, some many of those already in, many on the way, we got outgunned by these national competitors that came in next door. And all three 
of the facilities rented up slower than they could have, you know? Wow. Yeah. Understood. So talk to us about the book uh, that you just have out here. Uh, why did you really want to get this out? What, what is really the message you're trying to get across to investors? Yeah. So when I got excited about self-storage in February, 2018, I went online and I decided to order all the best books about self-storage. Well, I found one on self-storage marketing that was tremendous, but as far as building a business, why, where, how, et cetera, I didn't really find a book. And I thought this is a huge market. I mean, there's 53,000 self-storage facilities in the U.S., which is about the same as McDonald's, Subway, and Starbucks combined. Wow. But there, there were mostly just some self-published books. And I kind of expected this, and I was sad to see it. I got them, and they had typos in them, like my earlier self, like my earlier multifamily book spelled Warren Buffett wrong. It's embarrassing. But anyway, <laughs> they had typos and they, you could just tell they were homegrown. And so I decided to put together uh, the best book I could come up with. And I spent a couple years polishing that up and Bigger Pockets Publishing picked it up. And I'm, I'm just so pleased. It's called Storing Up Profits, Capitalize on America's Obsession with Stuff by Investing in Self-Storage. That's amazing. Well, Paul, it's always so interesting to have you on the show. Always love what you're hearing. I'm going to make sure it's not four years next time. So we get, get a little ahead of the curve here, but congratulations again on all your continued successes for everyone listening. Best way to learn more about you, Wellings Capital, the book. Tell us that. Yeah, you can get the book on uh, biggerpockets.com slash storage. Uh, it'll be available on Amazon uh, by mid-December uh, of 2021. And um, we uh, would love to have people come visit us at Wellings, W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S, wellingscapital.com slash resources. And you can get some free stuff there to help you learn uh, more about self-storage, mobile home parks, and lots of other stuff. That's amazing. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. We super appreciate your time. Thanks, Jason. It was an honor to be here. Everyone listening. Thank you as always. Again, go out there, hit that like button, give us a ratings and review. It helps more people just like yourself find all this great content out there. We'll talk to you shortly.